Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in praise and humility. Thankful for your presence here with us in our lives and in this world. We pray that you would speak to us this morning, that your spirit would lead us into your truth. That we both individually and corporately would more and more reflect the image of your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. We ask that you would speak to us, convict us, comfort us, move us in the direction of Jesus. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. There is an, an expression that I have found myself saying over and over again since starting as a pastor, which is simply this. They didn't teach me this in seminary. I originally started off as a youth pastor, and I found myself saying this over and over again when I'd encountered different experiences. So we, we made slime with our youth group, and somehow it got like ingrained like into the carpet. And so I'm sitting there with, with dinner knives trying to scrape this green sludge out of the carpet. And I remember thinking as I'm doing that with my volunteers, they didn't teach me this in seminary. Or I think at the time that uh, I was teaching about the Sermon on the Mount to our youth group, a bunch of junior high students. We had a group of about 30, 40 kids. And, and I remember I wanted to make Jesus' teaching about building your life on the solid ground. And so I thought, how can I make this come alive for our kids? I know I went and got two kiddie pools. I put rocks in one. I put sand in the other. I built two little houses. One of them I anchored down to the rock. The other one I just placed on the sand. And then... In our fellowship hall of the church, I went and got our hose. I had it come in through the window, and I went and got a leaf blower. And so I went to, first I went to the house that was built on the rock, and I sprayed it with the hose, and I turned the, air, the leaf blower on, and, I, and it didn't move. It didn't budge. I'd anchored it down well. And then I went over to the other kiddie pool, and I sprayed it with the hose, and the house started to move around inside the pool. And then I took out the leaf blower, and I aimed it down, and all of a sudden, all of this wet sand sprayed into this entire row of junior high students. I watched them go down, and they're like, I'm blind, I can't see. And I remember thinking, I think I just blinded a third of my youth group. They didn't teach me this in seminary. And sometimes I can look back on these experiences and they're funny and they make me laugh. But, but then there are some experiences where I, they were hard. They're difficult. I still look at them and, and feel overwhelmed by the experience. I think about a young woman in our youth ministry who got pregnant and the challenges that she faced as being a single mom and walking through that process alone. I think about the parents who came to me and said, hey, our, our son just came out to us the other day, what do we do? I remember those moments of going, they didn't teach me this in seminary. Sometimes we live with this deep-seated belief that if we're just prepared for everything, we know that we can face it without any problems. We're just going to sail right through it. And yet so often life is not like that. 
this morning, I want to take some time to reflect on this past year, just coming from my experiences, the things that I've been learning, and the things that God has been doing in my heart, in my life. Uh, it's been about a year since I first came, stepped foot into the Forest View building. I, I uh, still remember that first Sunday coming and preaching for you, and nothing was official, nothing had been signed, but there was this deep sense that this was the place for me, and there was this deep sense that I was the person for here. And as the leadership team and as the church community discerned and listened to God's voice, and as my family and I, we, we listened and discerned God's voice, and we just had this deep sense of, oh, this is it. And then we came here, we sat down, we were worshiping together, and I remember my wife looking over at me and just going, hey, this place feels like home. And ultimately, we ended up here. My first day was January 2nd. Do you remember what the world was like in January of 2020? It's a very different place. There was no arrows on the floor in the grocery store. There was, uh, you could actually smile at strangers and they could see you because you didn't have a mask covering your face. Nobody knew what Zoom was. It was a different time and it was a different place. And yet, Things were crazy. I remember starting here, the building was under a massive renovation. All of our staff, our first staff get together, we were all working in the youth room. It was freezing cold. Most of us were wearing jackets because construction workers were coming in and out of the building. It was a bizarre time. And I remember this deep sense. For me, I was brand new. I was excited. I was just excited for what God was going to do. And at the same time, I know that it was really hard and taxing on a lot of our staff as they were in this place of just constant flux and uncertainty and about, hey, where are we supposed to be working? And it's noisy. And is the heat going to be on today or is the heat going to be off? Or can we be in here because the water is going to need to be shut down. It was a really bizarre time of uncertainty. And yet there was this excitement, like, oh, we're almost there. We're almost there. The building is starting to come together. It's going to look amazing. Now, as with all renovation projects, it takes longer than you expect. And so the original finishing date, which we originally thought was kind of February, mid-March, uh, kept getting pushed back and back and back. In fact, there were a couple Sundays where we couldn't even meet in the building, and so we had to go and find other ways to gather together, including a hike, which was just this amazing experience. Throughout this time, I was just loving the newness, meeting the community, going over to dinner and lunches at people's homes, getting to know you. It was an exciting time. And getting to know the incredible staff here and the incredible leadership team. And at the same time, there was just this waiting of, hey, we're almost there. Once the building is done, we're going to be able to come in here. And then things are going to start to happen. We are just waiting for circumstances to get perfect. And then we can begin to put in place our plan and to move forward. And uh, everything's going to start to happen. And then March hit. <laughs> I remember this particular day, we'd been hearing all of these, just these echoes of this thing, COVID-19, that were spreading around. And I remember this particular week, it was just before March break, and the big conversation that we were having as a staff team was, how are we going to do communion? 
How is that going to work? And we want to make sure we do it in a way that is safe. And so we were talking with people who work in the health industry to, to get their wisdom, their guidance. How can this happen? And I remember that Thursday having all sorts of conversations throughout the day, and we were ready to go for Sunday. We had this plan with serving and all that. And uh, I was, I was in the afternoon. I'd taken my two children. They were uh, enrolled in the activities at our community center. My son was doing karate. My daughter was doing kinder ballet. And I remember going in. It's around four o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. And I remember doing some emails on my phone. And one email I sent off was just, hey, we're, our plan is good for Sunday. We are good to go. We'd gotten kind of thumbs up from the, the people we needed to get the thumbs up from. And over the course of that hour, everything changed. All of us parents who are usually just watching our kids, suddenly our we were glued to our phones, we were sending emails, we were sending text messages. And somewhere between the start of that class and the end of that class, we all went from, hey, how are you guys doing? To suddenly this look of all of us leaving, being like, okay, kids, grab your stuff, we gotta go home. As it was announced that March break was going to be extended and that this COVID-19 pandemic was going to be hitting here and that we were going to be entering a season of lockdown. And it felt like everything had been disrupted. Everything had been turned upside down and on its head. I, I, I laugh. It was like this total disruption to our time continuum. I feel like if you were to go and ask me, like, you give me a picture, an image of what did, uh, did it feel like, did it look like during that season of COVID-19 as we were all, many of us who are still fortunate enough to have jobs, were working from home. Uh, I feel like this image captures it really well. I just call it the COVID clock. Um, where suddenly we had no concept of time. You're like, did I shower today? Trying to figure that out. Uh, what day of the week is it? Uh, for many, this was a really challenging and difficult time. Uh, for, for the singles within our community who were uh, stuck in their homes all by themselves. For, for those within our community who were, were dealing with, uh, with mental health challenges, this was a really trying and testing time. For, for many within our community who experienced job loss or their hours reduced and suddenly the financial pressures that this brought were pretty overwhelming. And then, and then there were still others who were just dealing with health concerns and, or, or parents or people that they loved who were dealing with health concerns. And, and this was a really scary and frightening time. Not to mention just the different pressures that were faced for parents trying to figure out how do you homeschool? How do you work from home? And for us as a church, we were trying to navigate how do we do this? How do we keep moving things forward in the midst of a season where we have no idea what the future looks like? I remember talking with a person and they were just saying how even relationally, this has been really hard on them. There was challenges, there were, there were issues going on within some of their family dynamics. And they were saying they were kind of like in this, this slow cooker issue with the, with the issues in their relationship where they were, where they were kind of like just cooking and, and they just knew there was there, but it was just slowly starting to grow and to happen. And they're like, COVID-19 hit, the pandemic hit, quarantine hit. And suddenly it felt like they just took those issues and instead of having them cook in the slow cooker, they just tossed them in the microwave and turned it on high. And so there have been marriages or, or, or relationships with children or parents that have been just so, so difficult during this season. And it's been hard to plan and look forward to the future because it just seems so 
uncertain, even as we as a staff team have tried to go, okay, what are we going to be doing, putting in place? And so we started to come to September. We're like, yes, we are almost, hey, we can come back to returning and we're going to have kids back in the building. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And then the numbers start to go up again. And we realize you can't plan, forget a four-year plan. We're trying to figure out what does a four-week plan look like. We're waiting for circumstances to be perfect. And so it feels like we are in this constant holding pattern of just waiting to return to normal. They didn't teach me how to lead like this in seminary. There's a passage that over the last couple of weeks has really, uh, really spoken to me, really challenged me, and something I've been thinking about a lot. I wanted to share it with you today. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verse 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of Christians. And Paul is struggling because he wants to influence these people. He loves them. He wants to see them growing in Christ's love and, and having a deeper, richer understanding about who Christ has called them to be. And yet, they don't really want to listen to Paul. For, for whatever reason, they look down on him and they have dismissed him. And so Paul is writing them these letters essentially calling them out and inviting them into the life that Jesus has for them. And, and this one particular reason why he talks about them not respecting him or something that he is struggling with is something he calls the thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what the thorn in his flesh was. It could have been a physical ailment that he was suffering from. Maybe it was a stutter. Uh, maybe, it was, uh, maybe it was some issue with his eyes. Biblical scholars, they have debated this and they don't no, there's some who think this actually might be uh, some sort of moral failing that he had in his past that he has been forgiven of and experienced the newness of Christ. Maybe it was the fact that he went around and persecuted Christians originally, and he feels that for this reason, he lacks influence within the Corinthian community. And then for some, they think, oh, maybe this is a, uh, some other teachers who are going, going around traveling wherever Paul goes and preaching a, a message that counters or is in opposition to the message that Paul proclaims. Regardless of that, this is what Paul shares. He shares that he's been praying that God would take this thorn in his flesh, this pain, this suffering away from him. It says this, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, the language here that Paul is using for being strong or being power or having power is the word dynamis, is where we get the word, uh, in Greek is the word dynamis, it's where we get the word dynamite from. And so it is this power, it's this energy, this ability to, to, to kind of make things happen, to cause change, uh, to, to essentially exert influence. It can be used in all sorts of different contexts. Now, the word he uses for weakness, or sometimes it's translated as ailments or sickness, 
I love this. Strong's Greek concordance defines the word in this way as referring to an ailment that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do. Let me read that one more time. Strong's Strong's Concordance, defining the word weakness that Paul uses here in this passage, refers to an ailment that, that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do. In a conversation I was having with someone, they began to talk about the season of COVID because that's the only thing we have to talk about these days. And they were saying how it just feels like it sucks the good out of everything. I mean, that, that's even true in many ways. I experienced that within our church. We are now separated we're by our homes. We're not able to gather to be in person together. And even when we share the communion meal together, I mean, it's just, it's not the same when you're in your home, I'm in my home or here in this building and we can't be together. Everything just feels like a knockoff version of what it's supposed to be. And yet, Paul looks at these situations, those things that are, that are holding us back from experiencing them as they're supposed to be experienced, as we perceive them to being as the way that they are meant to be experienced. And he says that in these moments, in my weakness, in my total inability to, to, to do and be who I want to be, That's where I discover God's strength. There is this tool that is sometimes used uh, for for different teams, and it can be uh, in management, it can be in all sorts of organizations, businesses. It's called the SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T analysis. And I just want to walk you through it because I think that this is how we often approach life. So uh, first off, each letter stands for something. So the S stands for strength. The W stands for weaknesses. The O stands for opportunities. And the T stands for threats. And so what you'll do if you're a business or an organization or a group is you might think through over the past year or upcoming year, what are different strengths that our company or our group has? What are weaknesses that they have? What are opportunities that we see in front of us? And what are some of the threats that could stand in the way of us achieving or making the most of those opportunities? And often what we will do is we will focus predominantly on the strengths and the opportunities. We group those two things together. We link those together, and then we link the weaknesses and the threats together. And so we emphasize our strengths and our opportunities, and we look at the weaknesses and our threats, and we think, hey, let's, let's find ways to minimize those, to push them to the side, or to be aware of them enough that they will not happen or will not impact our ultimate goals, the things that we want to achieve. But, but I think that Paul here, he is challenging us to look at things in a different way. Let's go back to that same graph. If we were to say uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, because here's the way that I would argue Paul actually looks at it. First off, he would say, what are the greatest threats that we face? And he would say, our greatest threats do not stem from our weaknesses, but actually the greatest threats actually stem from our strengths. Because when we think that we can do it all, when we think we have all of the answers, when we're convinced that we can do it all without God. That is the most dangerous place we can possibly be. 
And yet for Paul, he, he looks at his weaknesses, whatever those might be, all of the things that are hindering him, that, that he would perceive as holding him back. And he sees those as opportunities for God to work and move. His weaknesses are, instead of being looked at as a negative thing, are actually seen as a positive thing that make all sorts of opportunities that they could never see and experience to the power of his own strength. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A number of years ago, I was driving, uh, I was on a long car ride and I turned on the radio and there, I was listening to the Christian radio station as I drove. And this song came on and I, had, I wasn't familiar with it. It sounded like kind of like 80s rock, but for whatever reason, I wasn't going to adjust it. And this song came on and uh, I, I don't know what it was officially called and I don't know who sang it, but the, the chorus just said this line. It had this line that he used over and over again. It says, when will the world see that we need Jesus? Now, judging from the sound, I'm guessing it was Petra, but I don't know for sure. I haven't listened to Petra for a long time. But this, the title of the song, it really stood out to me. Now, the particular context of this song, it was speaking to when will the people see that they need Jesus in their lives? And specifically, it was addressing non-believers, people who don't follow Jesus, and their longing for them, or the longing for Christians that we should have to see non-Christians come to faith. And I think this is a beautiful and important and true message. It rings true with our heart as a church to be a community where people meet Jesus, to be a community where non-Christians are coming and are invited to commit their lives in faith to Jesus Christ and experience the hope that we have in the resurrection and life with Christ. But when I heard this, I could not help but hear, when will the world see that we need Jesus, we being the church. Because so often the church, we, we live with this understanding like, hey, we got this covered. We've got a program. We've got a system. We can do all of this on our own. And there isn't really a whole lot of need for God within the church, or at least we live with that illusion. In my first couple months, as we were going through the renovations, I was spending a lot of time reading church leadership books and reading books about how to grow your church's attendance, how to become bigger, how church, and there are strategies and programs and things you can do to make that happen. And then COVID hit, and those 1,000, 1,500 pages that I read are completely obsolete. The programs, the strategies, the theories, they're all out the window. Because we begin to realize, wait a minute, if God is not working in the lives of people, we live in this fragile world, and no matter how complicated or how complex we think our systems might be, all it takes is a little microscopic virus to derail everything. We need Jesus. A few days ago, I was actually at the start of this week, I was looking out the window in my office, overlooking Palermo, which is the neighborhood in which this church is situated. And as I'm looking out and I see these different houses and they're beautiful houses. And all I could think was, how in the world do we reach these people? Because they live in beautiful houses, they have beautiful cars, they're well-educated, they're successful. I mean, what use do they 
have for Jesus? How can we as a church go and proclaim the good news of Jesus to them and what would make them listen? And I came away from it just as this realization, there is no strategy, there's no book we can read to go, hey, here is how you go and do it. The only way that will happen is if God goes and does something amazing in their hearts. The only way it will happen is if we surrender ourselves to Jesus and say, God, we can't do this on our own. We need you to help us that we might go and be present to these people and to help make you present and draw an awareness to your presence in their lives. That they would discover how much they need you. And so over the course of this week, I've just been committing to walking and to praying in the neighborhood about a half an hour, three times a week. To to pray over the houses as I walk by them, to pray that they would discover there's a God who loves them and invites them to surrender their lives in faith to him. And for opportunities of those within our church community who live in that area, but also just other people who live there. I'm walking by, I see one of those Jesus fishes on a car or a Keep Christ in Christmas bumper sticker and to pray over that home and say, God, would you use these people to impact their neighbors? And as I've been praying these prayers, it's just been welling up in my heart for our church community that we would be a community that that is just aware that apart from Christ, we really can't do anything. No strategy, no program. And yet for us as a community to be one that puts prayer front and center for how we do ministry, how we engage our world. Because we can have a great program. We can have an awesome building. This place looks great. I can't wait for you to all come in and experience it. We can have an amazing church service. But if Christ is not present within it, if God is not at work in people's hearts, it doesn't matter how good or convincing or even how friendly and nice we are. It's all a waste of time unless Jesus is at work in the midst of it. In Acts chapter 4, John and Peter, they are dragged out in front of the religious elite they call them the Sanhedrin because they have, uh, they've healed a man and then they've gone around basically proclaiming that the reason this man was healed is because of Jesus. And that's pretty controversial to say because Jesus was just recently put to death by these people. And so here is what happens in their experience. I love, um, I, just, I think this is just an amazing passage. The Sanhedrin, when they, the Sanhedrin, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, if this were up to me, if I was speaking into Palermo or to friends of mine who are, are not Christians or whoever it was, I, I, I w- and I've just preached or proclaimed a controversial message, I've just shared about who Jesus is my first response, what I want them to hear or what I want them to say is, well, they could see that I was very well educated, that I had argued in a very convincing way, that I was clearly very successful in what I had set about to do. And I love the thing that the Sanhedrin, they see in these two men and they go, these guys are uneducated. They're ordinary. 
But man, those guys have been around Jesus. This completely flips it on my head for me. The thing I long for most in my life is not to be perceived by all of the metrics and standards that our culture has about what does success look like? What does influence look like? What does power and strength look like? But rather in my weakness and all my failings and the places where I don't measure up, that they would see Jesus at work in my life. Conditions are never going to be perfect. Even was wrestling with that on Monday. I was, it was pouring rain. It was cold. It was miserable. And I have this conviction in my heart. I need to just go out into this neighborhood and pray. And, uh, and I'm like, ah, but maybe once the rain stops. Today's just not the day to do that. And it just resonated even more. The conditions are never going to be perfect. First Peter chapter two, the, the verse that we just read, he says, dear friends, he calls them exiles and foreigners. Essentially says, realize you are on someone else's turf. If you're expecting things to be easy and comfortable, you've got your, you are completely misguided. Realize there's going to be challenges. You are being drawn into a battle. They're not gonna treat you well. And at the same time, reflect who God is through your good deeds. And that through this, not that they would say, wow, those people are really great, but rather that the God that they worship, that Jesus, that Jesus, there's something to him. My invitation to us as a community, as I reflect on this past year, we've had our world turned upside down and I don't know if we'll ever go back to normal as it was. But don't be afraid. Instead, in this season where our weaknesses have just been exposed and drawn out into the light, to let those be places where you allow Christ to become more visible in your life. To, to allow Jesus to use you. Because the goal is not that they, others see you and go, wow, that person is great. The goal is for them to see you and say, wow, that person, that, that God that they worship, that Jesus that they clearly have been spending a whole lot of time with, there's something to that. They didn't teach me all this stuff in seminary, and yet I'm starting to discover that as I open my life up to God, as I realize how helpless I really am, that God can do amazing things. And I believe that's true for our church. As we surrender ourselves in prayer, in listening prayer and a longing for God to work in us, in our weakness. That way we might see him do more than we could ever have asked for and more than we could ever have imagined.